Good morning, church. All right, well, before we get going, let's do a quick Israel update. Um, There's not a lot I need to tell you. Uh, My dad actually gave you a lot as he was up here. As you know, Israel's still at war. And uh, it's going to be a long... Matter of fact, they said today, I just read the update. Um, Read a update. I can't keep up with the updates. I don't um, actually recommend you try. You will wake up and there'll be, uh, you know, a hundred or more updates. And that's just from one news source. And you you can't get through them all. It's kind of ridiculous because they just keep updating and updating because there's so much going on. But this is what the the Israel Defense Minister Gallant said uh, just was reported today, uh, actually at 936, so about an hour ago. Um, He's saying that... uh, when they do the, I assume he's referring to the ground assault that they're going to do in the Gaza Strip. He says this should be the last maneuver that they do uh, for the simple reason that there will be no Hamas after it. All right, it'll take a month, it'll take two months, it'll take three months, but in the end, there will be no Hamas. That's what he just said. Uh, it's a long, it's going to be a long war. Um, it's not going to be a quick war. Israel is fighting for their lives. Um, if they lay down their weapons, Israel will be destroyed. Uh, Hamas and everyone else that's joining the Hamas, the Hezbollah and all the other people uh, that are involved, they don't want peace. They don't care about civilians. They don't care about the men, women and children. They just want to destroy Israel. That's all they want to do. It's demonic. It's demonic. And uh, they... They just want to destroy Israel. I want to point this out if you didn't know this. Um, the Hamas did not choose their name by accident. All right? If you don't know what Hamas means, it's a Hebrew word. All right? Go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. And Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And that word for violence in the Hebrew which also means cruelty and injustice and uh, oppressor. It's used some 60 times in the Old Testament. That Hebrew word for violence is Hamas. All right? So their name was not picked by accident. It reflects who they are. But I also want to just say this. You can see, maybe for the first time in your lives, the pieces of the puzzle being put together, prophetically speaking, biblically speaking, in a way that you've probably never seen before. Right? I mean, you can start playing some of these things out to their logical or somewhat logical conclusion on how politically things are going to um, end up when the dust is settled, and how you can see a coalition of nations that's going to form together. Matter of fact, they were just talking about it today. There was another update I just saw about how Turkey and, uh, let's see if I can find it really quick. Uh, Iran's top military commander had a phone call with Turkey. And then uh, also they spoke with Russia and Qatar about the situation in Gaza. And you're seeing all these countries that are uh, forming this coalition. So you're going to see it. You can easily see how when you play this out, how these countries are going to get together and how eventually that's going to be, even though they don't necessarily always agree with each other or even like each other for that matter, they will form together eventually to come down and attack Israel. At a later date, not this time right now. This, this is just the beginning of what could lead to this. So you can see all these puzzle be- pieces being put together. It's exciting from a bi- biblical perspective. You may not look at it that way, but, uh, but it is. 
Now, you know, as my dad pointed out, the United States has a large presence in the area. When you know, the Gog and Magog War, Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, comes around, the United States won't be there. Right? So this is one of the signs that we know that how this isn't the Gog and Magog War. But they have a large presence in the area. It's unprecedented, really. I mean, there's two aircraft carriers. There's at least five destroyers. There's a command ship. There's an amphibious helicopter and rapid assault carrier. There's a guided missile cruiser. Um, matter of fact, they are moving the Eisenhower to the uh, central command area, which means they're moving it closer because of the attacks that have been, I mean, they've had to uh, already shoot down missiles or rockets that were shot at the, supposedly at the aircraft carriers or at the destroyers. Um, though they said they might have been intended for Israel, but they couldn't take the chance, so they just had to take them out, right? So, um, and within that, within all those ships, you have actually around 15,000 soldiers, Okay. Not counting any of the special forces and the Marines and some of the other things that might be on the ground or in the area. Um, this week, they asked Biden if, uh, if, you know, if he plans on using the ships, using the military, uh, you know, and he said no. But that's just because of where they are right now, right? Uh, because, like I said, they've had to uh, intercept missiles, We've had uh, U.S. bases already attacked in Syria. Uh, anyway, all that's just to tell you that things are going to change globally. When this is done, depending on how this ends and what it leads to, things are going to change globally, uh, one way or another. So I just want you to be aware of this, though. Many of the nations that currently support Israel, including the United States, are just waiting for their opportunity to turn their back on Israel, right? You, you need to be aware of that. It already, they already tried, okay, within the last week. When they falsely accused Israel of bombing the hospital in Gaza, right? So the Hamas said that Israel bombed the hospital. Israel said, we did not bomb the hospital. It was one of your own rockets. It, it was a failed launch, and it crashed into the parking lot in front of the hospital. And they had evidence. They had video evidence. They had audio evidence. They had the Hamas talking to each other saying, I think that's one of our own rockets that failed. And they're like, what? Are one of our own? Yes. Yeah. So they, have, they had all this evidence and they put the evidence out there. And, and, and a lot of people refused to believe it. They just, no. Nope. Hamas says Israel did it. Israel did it. So you had all these riots break out, and you had all the Israeli embassies attacked in these different countries, and Israel's like, we didn't do it. It wasn't us, right? It wasn't us. They're, so they're being accused of things that they didn't do, and even though it's been proven that they didn't do it, most of the news agencies, you'll notice, never apologized. They may have walked their story back. They may have slightly altered their headline, but they didn't ever come out and say, we were sorry, we, we were wrong. They didn't do anything like that because people are just going to see the truth. They're just going to ignore the truth. Even my son this week was having a conversation online with an acquaintance of his, not a close friend, but some guy that he's worked with online in designing stuff for games and stuff like that. And this guy's 100% convinced that Israel bombed the hospital. And my son said, no, Israel didn't bomb the hospital. It was a failed rocket from the Hamas. He says, no, Israel bombed the hospital. Israel said on their Twitter account that they did it. They took right, a responsibility for it. And he said, no, they didn't. They didn't say that on their Twitter account anyway. 
So he went to the actual Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu Twitter account and found the post that said, we didn't do this, it was a failed Hamas rocket, and he showed him the guy at the thing. But, you know, you're going to have these conversations with people who just aren't going to accept anything you say. They're going to look at what you're looking at, and they're going to assume the opposite. So I just tell you that to remind you to be discerning um, in what you read, discerning in what you hear. Be wise, be patient, don't jump to conclusions. Right? Be prayerful with all the information that you're receiving about what's going on because there's a lot of disinformation. And the Hamas is never going to tell the truth about anything. The Hamas does not want the civilians to leave the Gaza Strip. The Hamas is threatening the civilians into staying because as you know, the Hamas uses the civilians as shields, right? So they don't want them to leave. So be discerning in what you hear, be discerning in what you read, be prayerful, be patient, don't jump to conclusions. Listen, if you are on the side of Israel, which you should be, but, you know, I'm not going to twist anybody's arm about that, but you're going to find yourself soon and very soon on the opposite side of popular opinion, okay? You may not be there yet because right now you have a lot of support for Israel, However, if you're following Christ, serving God, not man, you were on the opposite side of popular opinion anyway, so you're kind of used to being there. So pray for Israel, right? Psalms 122 tells us to pray for the peace of Israel. Absolutely. And also remember this, you know, Daniel was prayerful, and he also carried a slingshot. So there's being prayerful and being prepared, being discerning about what's happening and going on, around you, in your country, in your state, things like that, right? You know, Thursday, the United States uh, State Department, I think, but it also came out through the FBI and uh, some of the other channels as well. They put out a warning globally to all United States citizens, and they said, listen, there's an increased tensions, you know, for potential terrorist attacks or acts of violence against American citizens and American interests, right? They put that out this last week. So they're telling everyone globally, if you're an American citizen, pay attention. Well, we've already seen an uh, increase of tax just here in the United States. Because well, we see anti-Semitism on the rise within the last week. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Right? Anti-Israel protests are breaking out nationwide. So like I said, eyes open, be vigilant, pray, trust the Lord. Right? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. We are going to go continue through John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, part 2. Believe it or not, it's applicable. Of course it is. It's the Bible. Right? We're really going to be looking at just verses 27 through 37. But it is chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, part 2. So I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll get into the teaching. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, starting in verse 1, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, 
he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sukkar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is around noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, referring to the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Call, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must be worshipped in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, verse 27, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes to harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, you just speak this to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we, our hearts are open to receiving your word. And I pray, Lord, that you will encourage us and strengthen us and embolden us in, in what you have to show us today with your word. So I pray, Lord, that your words be spoken. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So remember, last week I told you that this chapter, this section that we're reading, verses 1 through 42, is really about water and food. Right? The first section in dealing with the Samaritan woman was about water, living water. It's a water that, that, that only comes through Christ Jesus. It's not physical, it's spiritual. That's what Jesus is talking about. And the woman, when she first starts talking to him, of course, thinks he's talking about actual water. But Jesus isn't. He's talking about a spiritual water that can only come through him. And when she realizes, of course, that this is more than a mere man that she's speaking to, at first she says, I detect, detect that you're a prophet. Because he knew all about her personal life. Right? It changes the conversation. And then she, she changes it to worship. Jesus then, of course, tells her that the Lord, God the Father, is seeking people who will worship in spirit and truth. And Jesus, of course, had gone out of his way to go through Samaria instead of around Samaria because the Jews and the Samaritans didn't have dealings together and they wouldn't normally go through Samaria. But he had gone out of his way for this divine appointment to meet her at the well to let her know that God was seeking her out. And she found Jesus. She said, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to tell us and explain all these things to us. And he says, woman, you're speaking to the Messiah. I am he. And you notice the woman she didn't fill up her water jar. She never actually, there's no, nothing here that tells us she ever actually got any water. Immediately, she left her water jar behind and she ran back to town to tell everyone who she had met. It's a, you know, when your heart changes, when you come to Christ, your, your sanctification your growth in the Lord as you grow in the Lord, that's a lifelong process. But the time that you give your heart over to Jesus is instantaneous. She didn't have to know everything about Jesus to give her heart to Jesus. She didn't have to know everything about Jesus to surrender her life to Jesus. We can tell that she was no longer interested in the physical because she left her water jar behind. She was now satisfied in a way that she hadn't been satisfied before in the sense that she ran back to town to tell everyone that Jesus was there. Now intermix in this story with the woman at the well dealing with the water is now the disciples. And the disciples, as I had told us earlier, had gone into town to get some food. And now they come back, right? So like I said, this is about water and food. But it's not just about water and food because there's actually one thing that's overall, over the water and the food, that's actually a theme between the two stories that we have intertwined together that connects them both together. And that's eternal life. Because Jesus told the woman that the water in which he gives would lead her to give her eternal life. And he also says that the reaping and the sowing referring to the fields and the food that he's talking to is for eternal life. So Jesus is talking about eternal life. Now, just spiritually speaking, as far as we're concerned, right? for those who don't know Christ, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, for those who don't know Christ, what do we do first? First, we have to offer them the living water. You need water before you need food. And the only way you can get the living water is through Jesus. right? To those who do know Christ, who already have partaken of the living water, what do they need? They need food. Right? They need the nutrition that's offered by the Word of God and doing the will of God, which is what Jesus is going to be talking about here. 
but often because we don't need food as often as we need water, it's one sometimes we are basically malnutritioned in our relationship because we don't stay in the word like we should. And also, some of us aren't as hydrated as we should be either. So, Jesus is talking about bringing in the harvest. Now, the disciples, like I said, had gone in to get food. And I don't want to get uh, too far ahead, but the, the disciples were traveling, of course, with Jesus. And while Jesus was meeting the woman at the well, they went into town to get food. Now, what town did they go to? Probably the town she came from. That's just a guess. It doesn't tell us specifically, but I'm going to tell you why I think so. So probably they went into Sukkar, right? And they ran to the local burger joint, or they stopped by the local farmer market, or whatever they did, right? And they, they loaded up the donkey, and of course, it was a, it was a mile, I think, to the town and back. So it's, you know, you have to go in there a mile, get the food, come back. And then while Jesus is having this conversation with the women, the disciples went in and got the food and then they came back. And when they came back from Sukkar, right, they see Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman by the well, which surprised them. But in the Hebrew, it doesn't mean it surprised them in, in a revolting way. They weren't shocked in a revolting way. Actually, in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew what it means is that the, it, was a, uh, an, it was admiration. They were actually, wow, that's amazing. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. But they didn't say anything because, hey, Jesus knows best, right? I'm not going to interrupt him. If he's talking to the Samaritan woman, he has a reason for, for it. So they held their tongue. Smart thing to do, right? So they don't say anything about it. They trusted Jesus. He knows what he's doing. But one thing they did know, or they thought they knew, was that Jesus was probably hungry. And yes, Jesus gets hungry. It's one of the great episodes of The Chosen. I think it was in season two, where Jesus is out preaching all day. And the whole episode is just like the disciples talking to each other, for the most part. You don't actually see Jesus a lot in the episode. At the end of the episode, he comes in, and he's wearied, and he's tired, right? And he just goes to bed. He just comes in and basically goes and his mom helps him, I think, takes his sandals off and washes his feet and he just crashes in bed. Jesus gets tired. Jesus gets wearied. Jesus gets hungry. He sleeps. He eats. Right? Etc. So they offer him some food. They show up. They see Jesus. He must be hungry, of course. We went in and got him a couple of bacon burgers. Oh, probably not bacon. And, uh, and, they, and, they, and they offer him some food. But it's his reply that throws them for a loop because what does Jesus tell them in verse 32? He says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples, of course, immediately, just like the woman at the well thinking that when Jesus was talking to her about water, which is a physical thing, he thinks, you know, the disciples think he's talking physically. They're like, what food? We didn't have any food. Is Jesus hiding food from us? Right? Did he keep some food in his pockets or something like that? Like, where did he get the food? Is somebody slipping him some burgers behind? We went into town to get him food. We come back and he's already got food. Where did he get this food? Right? They missed the connection because Jesus, of course, is talking about spiritual food. Spiritual food. He says the, his food is to do the will of his Father. Right? They missed the connection, of course, until Jesus explains it to them. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The nourishment right, that fed Jesus how he was nourished. It wasn't bread, it wasn't meat, it wasn't a Snickers bar, right? Instead, it came from doing his father's will. That's how Jesus was fed. And so therefore, the salvation of the Samaritan woman fed Jesus. 
because it was doing his Father's will. That was true nourishment. So when you look at that, you have to ask yourself, what nourishes me? What in my life is nourishing me? There's a quote that says, seek your life's nourishment in your work. So what is your work? Right? What is it that you do? Are you seeking your life's nourishment in your work? And if so, what is your work? Is it really nourishing you? Or are you actually malnourished? Because if your work is the work of man, if you're seeking something to nourish you within the world, you will never truly be nourished. You're not finding what you need. It only comes through doing the work of God and doing the will of God in your life. So what nourishes you? Is it Jesus? Is it doing the will of God in your life? Is it living your life for the glory of God? Is that what is nourishing you? Are you seeking your nourishment in other ways? Right? Let me put it another way. Isaiah 55.2, one of my favorite verses. It's also a great song by uh, Dominic Bali. It says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Right? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. That's God speaking through Isaiah. And he's telling them, why are you guys spending all your money on earthly things? Right? Why is it that you're trying to find your nourishment in your idols, in your finances, right? in all these other things that you have in the world? Well, the only way you can be truly satisfied is if, right, only, is if you seek it through God. Because it's only God who can truly give you what you're hungry for. But yet we often squander our money on things of no spiritual value. Right? Things that do not satisfy rather than take what God has to offer for us, which is free. God offers spiritual sustenance. God offers what our souls really need. It's not genetically modified. It's not artificial. It's not a burger made of sawdust. It's not money or fame or anything materialistic because those things don't satisfy, especially those burgers made out of sawdust or whatever. Those things are terrible, right? It's eternal life in Christ Jesus and it surpasses all understanding. That's the only way that you're going to find nourishment through Jesus. So instead of spending your money on things that don't satisfy, which isn't a wise investment, and really during the you know, times we live in now, you should be thinking about wise investments. Invest your resources in Jesus. Right? Don't live a dehydrated, malnourished life. There's no reason for it. Don't live a life spending and spending and searching for nourishment, yet finding none because you're searching in all the wrong places. Right? Live a life receiving from Jesus and finding eternal life. It tells us in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who take refuge in him, right? When we were handing out all our candy on Halloween back when we were doing that, that outreach, when we actually had the time to do it, um, we, w- we printed that out on little cards and, and gave it with all the candy. It was kind of a humorous little joke, but it's true. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You want true nourishment. Obviously, you're not going to find it in candy, but you want true nourishment. You've got to find it from God because there's nothing else that's going to give it. You can spend your money on all these things. You can have your pantry stocked with all kinds of food. 
you can be ahead of the game and have your freezer stocked too, just in case there's a shortage, right? But none of that's going to truly satisfy you unless you have the Lord, unless you've given your life to Jesus. So don't spend your money on things that don't satisfy. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Matter of fact, Jesus will say later in John chapter 6, hashtag spoiler alert because we're not there yet, right? He will say in John chapter 6, he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to what? To eternal life. What is Jesus talking about here in chapter 4? Eternal life, right? And he says, which the Son of Man will give to you? It only comes through Jesus, right? So the disciples come up to him about the food, and he's like, listen, I got food you don't know of. My food is doing the will of the Father. This is what nourishes me. But then he directs the conversation from food to the harvest. Because how how does that apply? Well, the harvest, of course, is the source of food. Right? And he says this quote. He says, do you not say, this is verse 35, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? That's an old Jewish proverb. And, and actually what it speaks to is it, it has to do with procrastination, right? Four months until the harvest um, has to do with, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest, has to do with procrastination, right? The har- in other words, what it's saying is the harvest isn't yet for another four months, right? So we don't have to worry about it right now, right? Don't be too hasty. Don't rush things. You know, good things come to those who wait. Rome wasn't built in a day. Slow and steady wins the race. It's all the same idea. Uh, there, there are yet four months and then comes to harvest. It means you shouldn't expect to harvest a field that you only planted this morning. Right? You, you only planted that field this morning. Why would you think that you need to harvest it tonight? Wait, just wait, be patient, right? Miracles don't happen overnight. That's kind of what the phrase is talking about. Miracles don't happen overnight. That was the idea. But what Jesus is telling them by quoting this phrase is he's saying, listen, don't adopt that mindset. Because it's right. It's right in a physical sense. It's right in an agricultural sense. But it's not right when you're dealing with God. It's not right when you're dealing with the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not right when you're dealing with me. It's not right in a missional sense. Because when I'm working, when I'm doing the will of the Father, when the Holy Spirit is working, miracles can happen overnight. You can expect right, to harvest a field that you just planted this morning. They can happen instantaneously. Right? He tells them in verse 38, and that's actually what we're seeing here, by the way. He tells them in verse 38, he says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. He's telling that to the disciples. Understand this. He, there's a couple of things that he's telling them. What he's telling them is that you're, when he says you're going to enter into another person's labor, he's saying a couple of things. One of them is this. He's saying, don't be lazy. Okay? Don't be lazy. Right? There's a, Ecclesiastics, actually, 11.4 says, he who observes the wind will not sow, he who regards the clouds will not reap. Right? So he's, he was like, he's like, so disregard that whole proverb thing because we're dealing with God here. And when we're dealing with God, you can expect miracles to happen pretty fast. So you better be ready to harvest a field that was possibly just planted right now. 
who planted the field. What's he talking about? He says, you're going to enter into a labor into someone else's labor. Someone else has done the work and you're going to benefit from it. Well, who did the work? Well, ultimately Jesus did the work, but, but besides Jesus, who did the work? The Samaritan woman did the work. Right? The Samaritan woman did the work. And so Jesus is saying, listen, this is no place for the lazy. Matter of fact, when he tells them um, that they're going to enter into their labor and, you know, uh, enter into another person's labor, uh, it says others have labored and you have entered into their labor. That word for labored also means uh, working hard or fatigued or uh, toil or wearied. Right? Other people are wearied. Other people have toiled. Other people are fatigued. It's intense labor united with trouble and toil. What is intense labor united with trouble and toil? Well, it's your life. But besides your life, what is it? It's ministry. That's what it is. It's ministry. And guess what? We all have a ministry. Every one of us here has a ministry. And we can speak to that. We can say, you know what? Yeah, that's right. Because ministry is intense labor united with trouble and toil. Jesus is saying, listen, other people have troubled and toiled and they've worked hard on this and you're entering into their labor and you're going to benefit from their work. That's what he's telling his disciples. And you need to expect it right now. So you better be prepared. <laughs> right? I mean, your life should be a ministry for Jesus. But he's telling them, be encouraged. This is ultimately what he's telling them. He's telling them, be encouraged, right? Because the other thing he's telling them, as he told them right previously in verse 37 is, one sows and another reaps, right? In other words, you're about to reap, spiritually speaking. You're about to be fed. You're going to understand what I talk about when I say that I'm fed by doing the will of my Father. I have other food that you don't know about. You're going to understand this now. You're about to be spiritually fed, but yet the labor was done by another person, which is true in a physical sense because when you go to the grocery store and you buy your meat and you buy your veggies and you purchase whatever it is you're purchasing, that is the fruit of someone else's labor. And you're buying it and you're being fed off of it. Right? You're benefiting from it. This is why I think the disciples went into the town of Sukkar. Why? Because they went in there and they got the food and they didn't speak to a single person because they were Samaritans. So they went in there and they don't have dealings with Samaritans, but yet they needed to get food. So they went into the town, they got their food all quick and quiet as they could. And then they left the town and they came back to Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, you just went into that town and you got food and you didn't speak to a single person. And while you're in there, I spoke to this Samaritan woman. And now that Samaritan woman's gone back into the town and she's telling everybody about me. She's planting seeds and they're going to come out here and you're going to reap. You're going to be fed because of it, because of her labor. You're going to reap from it. And it's okay that you didn't do it because you're going to benefit from it anyway. Because you're entering into someone else's labor. You're entering into the labor of the Samaritan woman who left her water pot behind, who ran into the town and told it, this woman, right? I've heard her referred to, I think it's Jack Hibbs who referred to her as she's, she was alive in the sense that she could take breath, but she really didn't have much of a life. Right? She was ostracized and shamed and she hid from the town and she went to a, a well that was a mile outside of town so she didn't have to meet or greet or run into anybody in the town in which she lived. She had had all these failed relationships. She was living with a man now in an immoral relationship. He's not even married to the guy. She, you know, she, did, she probably was just trying to hide from everybody in the town. 
And yet now, this woman who had been ostracized and shamed runs back into the town without her water pot. If you can imagine the conversation, right? And she tells, it says here that she told everyone, basically. Depending on when you go and look at the Greek, you know, it says that the woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Right? Can you imagine that conversation? Listen, I just talked to a man out at the well and he told me everything I ever did. And boy, was that a long list. Right? He knew everyone I had been with. He knew everything that had happened. And everyone in the town is going, we kind of know everything that's happened too. Yeah. Right? She said, but but I think it's the Messiah. This woman who went out of her way to not meet anybody in the town runs into the town and listen, they listen to her. That's important to understand because, because something had changed in her. And when she comes in and says, listen, I think he's the Messiah, everyone listened. Because wait a minute, there's something different about you. Something's changed maybe we should take you seriously. And they all come out to meet Jesus, right? They all come out to meet Jesus. And then they asked Jesus to stay a couple days. And he did. And he and the disciples stayed and many came to faith and the disciples reaped spiritual benefits from someone else's sowing. One sows and another reaps. Let me tell you a story. Right? And that's encouraging, right? It's encouraging to know because often, why? Because we often think we're alone. We often think we're doing stuff by ourselves. No one's ever helping me. No one's ever helping carry the load. I'm doing all this work by myself, right? You're not alone. Guess what? You're not alone. Even when you think you are, you're not. But let me tell you a little something. I met an older gentleman a few weeks ago. Now, I had seen the guy a lot right? in my other job. I'm not going to go into all the details, but you know, in my other job, he had come in many times. He actually, um, his job is to do taxes. So he helps the store with taxes. Okay. So he comes in and, um, I never at once had a conversation with him. Never even once met him face to face. Um, he was always just in my peripheral view. I'm not out on the floor. I don't work out on the floor. I work in the back room. And uh, um, he had a job to do. So he comes in and they, have, they sequester him off to his own little private room somewhere in the store where he sits there for hours and does, helps the store with their taxes, right? I never met the guy. But yet, I won't get into all the details, but yet now I end up walking into the room where he's sequestered off to for a different reason. And he's in there having a conversation with someone else I know. And he's sharing the gospel with him. And I almost fell over. (laughs) Because I didn't know the guy. I had never heard him speak. I knew the other guy he was speaking to. And I'll tell you this, he never talks about, I hardly ever have conversations with him, but he because we only come across if there's emergencies, right? And we have to try and fix things. But, but I, I never heard him speak about sports or politics or religion or anything. I hardly ever have him speak. He, he doesn't speak. I was pretty sure he doesn't hardly ever speak. <laughs> but, but he's having a conversation with this guy and this guy is sharing the gospel with him. And I, like I said, I almost fell over. I was, I was shocked. I'm like, what? What's going on here? Right? I mean, I think Hudson was in the room and I think that he could probably tell my amazement. He's like, hmm? But so I wait for the, I don't interrupt or anything. I wait for the conversation to be over. 
And, um, I, and after it over, I walk up to the guy working there, and I'm like, this is fantastic. I'm incredibly encouraged. You're, having, you're sharing the gospel with him. I said, this is, this is great. So I tell him who I am and tell him what I do. And he's like, oh. He was like, this is fantastic. He said, this is great. I said, I didn't know there was anyone else here that was a believer. He said, yeah. I said, it was so great you're sharing the gospel with him because he needs it and his whole family needs it. And he goes, I know. He said, so pray that I can continue to have these opportunities to share with him. Because, you know, I got to help him with his taxes. So <laughs> I'm kind of, you know. I said, I will. In, in my many years of knowing the other guy who he was speaking to, I had never had a, a, a conversation with him. That wasn't a, a door that the Lord had opened for me. And, uh, you know, like I said, unless, our, unless there was some sort of critical issue going on in the store, our paths never, ever really crossed, right? We hardly ever saw one another. That, like I said, that's not a door that the Lord opened for me. However, the Lord opened the door for this other gentleman, right? And I was in shock. And, I mean, here someone had the opportunity, and he took it, and it was awesome. And it was awesome for both of us because we both found out at that same time, guess what? There's other workers in the field. And neither one of us knew it. It tells us in Galatians chapter six, it says, let us not grow weary for doing good for in due season we will reap if what? If we do not give up. How, why do we give up? We give up because we grow weary and we grow weary because we think we're the only ones doing it and we get frustrated. That's why we give up. I can't do this anymore. It's too much of hard work. No one's helping me. I'm tired, right? I don't see any fruit coming from this. You may never see any fruit come from it because one person plants, another person waters. It's God who grows. You may plant the seed years down the road. That seed may come to fruition and someone else may reap the benefit from what you did earlier. You may never see it happen. So the point of that is don't give up. Just continue being faithful with what the Lord has told you to do. Continue being faithful for the gift, with the gifts that the Lord has given you and use them to share the gospel and however that looks and in your life and the way that you do that with your neighbors and your friends and your family. Plant those seeds. Water those seeds, right? Guess what? You're not alone. There's other people in the field working. And you just don't know it. There's so many stories about things like that. We heard them when we were at the conference. Lee Strobel told a story. Um, Greg Laurie told a story. They all told stories about things that were, you know, seeds that had been planted earlier. They didn't even know that they had planted seeds. And they found out years later when someone would come up to them. I'm not going to recount Lee Strobel's story, but it's a great story about how he went to invite someone to his church for Easter at the newspaper. And he told them, hey, you want to come to our church? And the guy, basically the guy said, no. I don't want to come to your church for Easter. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And Lee was like, well, that sucks, right? I don't, I don't know why the God told me to come in here and tell you, invite you to church when you're just going to reject me like that. Well, he didn't know. It's like right around the corner from that guy was someone else who was working in the building who heard Lee Strobel's invitation. That guy went to church. And then later in life, that guy went up to Lee Strobel and said, I want to thank you for being, you know, for planting that seed. Lee's like, oh, that's great. Who are you? Right? He never even knew the guy. I told you I wasn't going to tell you, and I told you anyway. But it's a great, these type of things happen all the time. So I guess I better wrap this up. Why is this important? Why is this important? Well, I don't know. Turn on your news lately. What did you see? What have you seen? What's going on? War, right? 
current events, wars, rumors of wars. Let me tell you something. The church age is coming to an end. I don't know when that is, but it is. And when the church age ends with the rapture, right? sometime after that, the tribulation is going to be ushered in. And of course, we're watching the signs of the times, which are glaringly obvious. Right? Lift up your head, your redemption is drawing near. The news has actually been referring to these events in Israel as biblical. <laughs> the news, you know, guess what? Not all news is false, because it is biblical. But if the news has been saying it, then guess what? Your neighbors have been thinking it, and your friends and family probably wondering that too. This seems biblical. It is biblical. Right? Right? So, so why is this important? How does it relate? Well, it's, be, it's be about eternal life. That's why. Right? It's about the harvest. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He tells us that in Matthew 9. And he says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So he says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There needs to be laborers out there in the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus tells them right here, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. That's the message for you. Lift up your eyes and see. Quit looking down at your own issues. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. People are worried. People are in despair. People are discouraged and depressed. They're watching the exact same news that you're watching about what's going on, and they're like, man, this seems biblical. What does that mean? Well, guess who has the good news? You do. You do. And you can share it. This is about bringing others to Christ. That's a job for all of us. It's not just my job. It's all our jobs. That's what we're supposed to do. It's our ministry. Whether it be planting or watering or whatever, you have a job to do. And guess what? You're not alone. You're not alone. You don't have to feel that way. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Here, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may what? May rejoice together. It's not a contest, folks. Not that you feel like it's a contest, but it's not a contest. It's not a competition, right? It's your ministry. To point people to Jesus. To plant that seed or to water that seed or whatever. It is. Whatever the gift, whatever your gift is. Right? It's not a competition. Not a contest. It's not us against them. We're, we're not trying to be like, how many notches can I get on my belt? Right? When I get to heaven, I hope to have a whole belt full of notches. So he'll look at it and be like, well done. And you're going to be like, well, I got two. Oh, man, you suck. Right? It's not like that. It's not how it is. It's not a competition. It's not a contest. It's just about pointing people to Jesus. It's about eternal life. So just tell people about Jesus. 
point people to Jesus. When we are caught up in the air to meet Jesus, we want to take as many people with us as possible. So tell everyone. Don't leave anyone behind. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we can do just this. I pray, Lord, that we can be bold and we can be strengthened by your word and that we can have the, the strength to just point people to Jesus. I say strength. It takes strength to do it. So sometimes we're weak in those areas out of fear and out of what would they think and stuff like that. Don't worry about it. You're doing the work of the Lord. It's going to feed you. It's nutritional, spiritually speaking. And the Lord is with you. It's the Lord who does the growth. He just wants you to plant the seed. He wants you to water it. He wants you to tell people of the hope and the joy and the peace that comes from Christ Jesus. They need living water. It's only found through Jesus. They're worried about salvation. Where are they going to be? What's happening to the world? Well, the hope is found in Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that you just continue to help us point people to Jesus. I thank you for that. I thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.